Alright, and we're back. If you're here and you don't know how you got here, don't worry, I don't either. Fortunately, we're all here together in the eyes of God, here and forever. Why you gotta start off weird? I am your pastor, the master of disaster, the Jovi. No, no, you are not the pastor. This is the Poor Pearls Almanac. And that's all right, let's call it that spirit spirited introduction. The spirit of the Lord himself. And apparently we're doing the televangelist thing. Well, is this a bit? Well, now you can, now I can't do it if you like talk about it. Like it takes all the fun out of it if you like are like, oh, we're doing a televangelist thing. You're just ruining it. All right, I, I guess I'm sorry, bud. Well, my co-host here, Andy, and my name is Elliot. We are the Poor Pearls Almanac, and we are here for part two of a doozy of a series on American energy farming systems. The missionary of business names, I guess we'll call it. Yeah, the missionary of business names, because if you're having sex in front of God, do it respectfully. Heels to Jesus. Yes, heels to Jesus. No moaning. Everyone knows that. There's no moaning in missionary. If you enjoy it, you're going to hell. Absolutely. It's for making babies only. Only. So, we um, last episode, if you didn't hear it, you should probably go do that, because otherwise this won't make a lot of sense. We left off talking about Fred II's newfound interest in starting national farms around sustainability in the late 1970s, right? So by 1980, Hendrickson had um, become enamored, let's say, with the Jerusalem artichoke. Hendrickson attributed this conversion to his discovery of how these six Jerusalem artichoke plants that he saw growing in the alley behind his rapid city home were just doing absolutely wonderfully. Okay, so it sounds like this guy got drunk and came to the logical conclusion that I would probably come to, where if it can grow in an alley, it should probably be an alley crop. Yeah, I mean, how how does that not make sense? Now, in October of 1980, Hendrickson came across an article on the Jerusalem artichoke in the North Dakota Farmer, and it was so inspiring to him that he decided to uh, telephone every contemporary reference mentioned in it. So, you know... Normal stuff. Yes, that's the natural response you have to a convincing article. So by the spring of 1981, in a special report to prospective customers, Hendrickson declared the Jerusalem artichoke to be, in quote, energy farming's answer to OPEC, end quote. Okay, so we're continuing his televangelist style. And this is Fred II, not Andy's, by the way. Yes. So Hendrickson ordered Jerusalem artichoke seed and began encouraging farmers to experiment with it. By the summer, Hendrickson considered himself an expert on the Jerusalem artichoke, despite having never grown it, just seen it grown in an alley and uh, read some some articles, and did not hesitate to publicize its superiority to corn and other plants as a potential source of alcohol. Okay, so here's where I do my shameless plug, uh, especially with our 100th episode. We did our episode on corn. It was actually pretty great. But if I remember correctly... Corn wasn't really that good at producing ethanol, so he was actually like right about that. You know, he was technically correct, which here in America is the best kind of correct. Keeps you out of jail. Keeps you out of jail. Technically correct. Or puts you in jail. Yeah. I mean, it really depends where you're falling on that one. So with the the failures of the Igloo project that we had talked about before, his delusional dream, which he blamed in quote, big oil for its inability to get funding. There were no other issues with that plan, right? Remember the the giant circle he drew on a map and said this is going to be a self-sustaining community of like 80 miles? And he just was like, hey, guys, fund me. I'm going to buy all of this land. 
even if that's not really how the land works. It, it was big oil. That, that's the reason why he couldn't get that funding, right? So because of that, in his fight against big oil, Hendrickson moved east to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. There, on the edge of corn-rich but crisis-stricken southwestern Minnesota and northwestern Iowa, Hendrickson would seek to fulfill his prophetic role. Okay, so all these flim-flam men and snake oil salesmen who try to get their enterprises started, when they start switching locations and trying to move around and find the right spot where they're going to take off, how, how do they make it this far without having a win because he has failed everything that he started so far. So he's got to be running out of funds at this point, right? Elliot, I need you to do something for me. Look in a mirror and tell me what color your skin is. I'm colorblind, Andy. And you are too. You don't even know. You don't even know. I know you're black. All right. Damn it. And I'm white. And part of being white is that you get this like get out of jail free card when you like go bankrupt and have terrible ideas, especially when you're really full of yourself and especially when you're a boomer back in the 80s. Too big to fail was actually too white to fail. <laughs> he was too big in his own mind to it's fail, literally, yes. literally what happened to Michael Jackson. Yes. So by the time he moved to Sioux Falls, Hendrickson had exhausted his resources. He also had exhausted the resources of the few believers that he'd had at this point and the patience of the handful of creditors that actually invested in his insane ideas, which again speaks to the fact that like, as a white dude, you could literally get money to do anything. Like, he had no experience. He wasn't an agronomist. He's like, give me money to grow plants and do this stuff. And they're like, sure, here's cash. Now, unable to live by ideas alone, Hendrickson desperately needed, as he had with his past projects, a partner with cash. Oh boy, do we find one. Enter James Dwyer. Hendrickson had been acquainted with Dwyer since he had offered to do construction work for the aborted Igloo project. <laughs> the aborted Igloo Project sounds like the best metal band out of Alaska that I have never heard of. And if anyone does know the best metal band out of Alaska, I would kind of like to know that. So let, let me know that. I, I would also listen to the aborted Igloo Project. Not going to lie. You know what else I'd listen to? Is it the ads that are about to follow us? It absolutely is, yeah. Hey there, it's me, Crazy Norm, down at Normal Norm's Nut Emporium on John Brown Drive. We're going nuts for nuts in Nutty November. We've got big nuts, small nuts, chestnuts, ground nuts, nut butter, buttery nuts, nut milk, milky nuts, nut cream, creamy nuts, and the for the late night crowd, chocolate covered CBD, deep fried nuts. Want to join the Nutstravaganza? Nut up and join the Nut Posse. Join other members and get your sack of nuts pounded for free whenever you come in and make the creamiest nut milk you've ever had in your own kitchen. Crazy Norm's Nut Emporium, 420 John Brown Drive or online at fortproles.com. In late February or early March, before Hendrickson moved to Sioux Falls, he received a call from Dwyer, a call that he considered providential. Naturally. Like Naturally. A, like a prophetic person would. Like the second coming of Jesus Christ might receive a phone call, right? So Hendrickson was ecstatic when Dwyer, whom he perceived to be a successful businessman, decided not to just plant one acre like what he was suggesting, but Dwyer actually decided instead to buy half a semi-trailer load of seed, enough for 20 acres. The seed cost around $1,000 an acre, so he's looking at $20,000 in 1980. Now, because of Hendrickson's like limited you know, successes, he was beside himself and realized, well, if this smart businessman thinks this is a good idea, 
I should follow him, right? So he also ordered a full load and began to sell Jerusalem artichoke seeds to farmers, whose enthusiasm in many cases equaled Hendrickson's. Okay, so both of these guys' stupidity just sort of fed off of each other. And they thought because one side was validating it, the other, like, that made them okay. Oh, yeah, this was full Hen- uh, Ren and Stimpy going on. Yeah, hope and delusion are often the same drug. Yeah, and it's a hell of a drug. Now, Dwyer, like Hendrickson, saw a need for cheaper and alternative fuels for his energy-intensive construction business. He had already experimented in his home and office with wind and solar, but didn't feel like it was quite enough. He also nodded in agreement when Hendrickson prophetically proclaimed that unless something was done, and done soon, the Christian farm was doomed and the nation would be lost. Okay, so they're on the sinking ship, and and Fred's over there like, I'll never let you go, Jack. I mean, his name was James, but yeah, that. Yeah, either way, they can both fit on the door. Yeah, according to YouTube University, they would have sunk. I don't understand it. I'm not a scientist. They they both should have died. I don't understand I I mean, I would have been happy with both of them dying, is what I'm saying, yes. Please, don't let go, because I want you to both die. Like, take down that door. Take down that door like Reagan took down that wall. Sorry, that was terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so Hendrickson and Dwyer convinced themselves that they were destined for each other. And honestly, they might have. Hendrickson had the ideas, the delusional ideas, and Dwyer had the means, or at least he thought he had the means. So both of them thought they had the thing that the other person thought they had. It was really fun. Now, Dwyer owned a company that he generally estimated to include 75 employees, 20 vehicles, and capital. Hendrickson interpreted, as we said before, everything, including this sudden, like, smart businessman, as part of God's providence. In one instance, he wrote Dwyer that God had guided him to the right accounting firm. In another instance, he wrote Dwyer that only God could have led them to make a visit to a fructose processing plant. Okay, so he said God led him to a fructose processing plant, not his interest in, say, sugar processing and alcohol it was elliot god it was (laughs) it it was god elliot god come on come on god did i you know what i was gonna say god invented booze but i'm pretty sure that's not how it happened i mean if god does if if you're a fatalist and god does you have no self-control because god directs you know the the strings of the universe then didn't God invent alcohol as well? I don't know. I'm not high enough to answer that question. I don't think anyone should ever be high enough to answer that question. I'm sure if I was high enough, I could give you one, though. Don't. Please don't. So I'm going to start, so I'm gonna start my cult. <laughs> so <laughs> future cult leader, Elliot. That's right. We'll have separate cults, and they're going to feed into each other. That, listen, and make... we are American uh, through and through. All right. That's how it's going to work, buddy. Yes. I'm going to talk about how great your cult is to your cult leaders or your cult people, and you can do that to mine. And like, we'll just build each other up. Like, hype. We'll, we'll be each other's hype man. All right. Can't give away the cult secrets. I'm sorry. We're, Dom, cut all this out. So, Hendrickson, let's talk about our boy Fred II. He concluded, because of all of this work with God that he was doing, you know, his one on one at the time, it was like paging, didn't have cell phones or text. He concluded that a new age was upon humanity, and he declared to Dwyer his intention to form a Christian Farmers Association to organize all American agriculture around God and the Jerusalem artichoke. Do we have a god of gas or a flatulence? 
in Christianity at all? There's no saint of flatulence or anything? Not yet, but we can do it. We have the technology. I mean, that's how, that's, that's how you're going to get the youth back into the spirituality. <laughs> yeah. Just a bunch of fart jokes. Yes, fart jokes. Well, yeah. like, up to like nine, and then like millennials. I feel like Zoomers are too angry for fart jokes. That's why I would sell. I, I, I don't know. It sells itself. So it sells itself. Come on. I went to the uh, Hendrickson School of Business from Trump University. You just got to say it and it makes it true. It's true. That's what I learned from America. Now, this Christian Farmers Association. All right, you ready for this? I, I feel like I'm lying when I'm telling the truth, talking about this story, and it's going to get so much worse. So this association, this Farmers Christian Farmers Association, would fight the international bankers and the much-feared Trilateral Commission, a consortium of eminent private American, European, and Japanese business leaders whose goal was to foster economic cooperation. I mean, that tracks if you're a conspiracy theorist with that whole big new world order energy kind of vibe going there. Yeah. And this is like the precursor to that term, right? Not that he invented it, but he kind of retooled it, we'll say, to uh, advance his very niche and specific interests. I mean, you know, it's real when the white man is complaining about another white man holding them down. (laughs) You know, the struggle is real when a white man feels persecuted. Come on. So the commission... (laughs) The commission was uh, interpreted by a large part of the American political fringe, especially in the countryside, where conspiratorial theories historically have abounded, you know, as this supposed secret and real source of world economic dominance, which, you know, definitely, you know, with the advent of Internet and having knowledge everywhere has been dissipated, right? Because now we can all look on the Internet and confirm factually and easily whether or not conspiracy theories are based in evidence like i can go on youtube and if i type in is the new world order real i'm going to have an objective opinion on it right that that's how the internet works elliot yeah it's yeah it's tell me that's how the internet works it's how the internet works okay thank you i needed that so when they decided to incorporate the name for the company that he decided would be the most accurate would be the american energy farming systems because they're farmers with energy and they're American, and they're using systems, I guess. Dwyer would be the president and chief financial officer, while our boy Hendrickson, Fred II, would serve as secretary and vice president of research. Obviously. That's awesome. It's like he was using the internet, because by research, he would just read like the first article that uh, got mailed to him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was God's will. Give it. God did all the research. He was just reading it. I don't even oh, know. Oh yeah, to... good, yeah. I mean, how do? You, why would you need to research God's God's work? Come on. It's. The... <laughs> I was gonna say it. It's called. Uh, oh my God, what's it called? Um, intelligent design. It's called intelligent. <laughs> intelligent it's not design. Called stupid design. Yeah, it's come called, on. Called, I don't have to research shit. It's already been proof proofread and everything. <laughs> So his original plan was to- I wish I could live my life like this. I'm sorry. The 80s, like, honestly, like, if you had to be an American, like, live being an adult, like, being our age in, like, the 70s and 80s, like, how much better of a life could you get than, like, just making shit up and getting rich just because you're like, I'm smart. And people are like, he's smart. And the banks are like, here's money. And people are like, I'm going to buy your product. And, like, everyone's happy except for, like, some shit ass who- Spent too much money, but he's got a good union job, so like he can afford to. Yeah, you went on that rant. I mean, I just think it all peaked when motherfucker sold the pet rock and just made a whole bunch of money. (laughs) I think I think we've been going downhill since. We're gonna do an episode on the pet rock just for Elliot. 
Gotcha. I have no idea what it has to do with this podcast, but it's it, it, I've heard about it too many times. That's what this story it's reminds time. me of, though. Oh, my God. It's so it's beautiful. So uh, the original plan after they created this company name, right? It was to market seed to only 200 growers in a six-state area. At the first Jerusalem Artichoke Growers Convention, Hendrickson summarized the views that led him to found AEFS. He declared it was the task of the Jerusalem Artichoke Growers to save America and the family farm from Arabs. And that is, that is directly from him. I am not saying that. And he villainized them as controlling the world's supply of oil and seeking to destroy Israel and Christendom. For him, the Jerusalem artichoke was indeed, in quote, the weed that whips OPEC, end quote. I think this guy needed an entirely different kind of weed. Sounds like he needs to chill out a little bit. Just a little bit. He, he needed a lot of things, to be fair. Now, our buddy Dwyer, the businessman, James Dwyer, believed Hendrickson not only could build him an alcohol plant and put him in contact with the alcohol fuel movement, but was in truth, he genuinely believed that Hendrickson Fred II was kind of a prophet. Dwyer had hardly heard Hendrickson's pitch before he decided to make him his partner. He sounds like a great businessman. Oh my God, he was Trump before Trump. Well, Trump, I guess he was like Trump during Trump, but without Trump's financial backing, even though he did have a lot, and we're going to cover that. Dwyer didn't bother to check on Hendrickson's background. And here's his recollection of it. And this is a quote. I sized him up, Dwyer recalled, as we in the Midwest do, by his word and a handshake, end quote. He didn't even bother to make a few telephone calls to Rapid City to find out why his prospective co-owner and director of research and attorney by trade was no longer practicing law and was broke. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can get done with a handshake and a smile in this country. Yeah, when you're a white man. Yes, absolutely. That's why it never works for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, about 40 years has passed since then, so that also has to do. I mean, I worked in the mortgage industry for like four years, and you'd be amazed at how many white men would come up to me and just be incredulous that I couldn't give them a no documentation loan. <laughs> like, and and, 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 oh, and the, arg the argument would be like, the, the last bank did it. And I was just like, the, the last bank's a fucking, oh, you know what? I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> so I also worked in banking in 2009, in 2009, 2010, 2011. And uh, that was as they were changing all of the laws around refinancing and mortgages. Uh, and it was, yeah, like you would take someone's information on your side and you would just be like, how much do you make? 10,000 a month, check, put it in, spits out a pre-approval, and then uh, we would get the paperwork, and like maybe they would check like a week before you closed, maybe not. Uh, it was a wild time. Unfortunately, that's how it always was, and for white men that needed money for no real reason, it was a great time to be alive. Yeah, shit was crazy. So our, our buddy, our businessman, Dwyer, this is going to be a shock to everyone listening. The business he had, he had inherited, and I know this is also going to shock you, he ran it into the ground. <laughs> so when Hendrickson showed up, he was already past due paying contractors for work, and he had bet the farm ha, on farmland increasing its value, despite the fact that farmers were going bankrupt across the country at this time. That's awesome. And then he sold a new book. Actually, he came up with a new way of doing business. It's called Do Nothing Business, and it's a holistic way of doing, doing business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Bestseller. We uh, have it on our website, poorprolls.com. So if he had been playing the long game like 40 years, he would have done really well. Not in the late 70s, early 80s. 
Prior to 1979, Dwyer had only owned a small farm. From 79 to 81, as the business started and quickly exploded, Dwyer purchased 11 pieces of real estate for rental purposes. The purchases of these uh, 11 properties exceeded a million dollars. So he's like the original stonks guy. Yeah. If rents from his land rose and his properties and companies retained or at least increased their value, Dwyer would have been fine. If things went badly, that is, if interest remained high, if real estate lost its value, and above all, if uh, AEFS ran out of cash, Dwyer would crash to the ground, and uh, there'd be no way to fix that. Without getting the cash for this business, his whole economic kingdom would disintegrate. He would lose his properties. He would never have his salary from the business. There'd be no work for his contractor or his company, his construction company, because they did all of the work for AEFS. He would lose rent that he received from AEFS, which we'll talk about in a little bit, because he was paying his his own properties to rent it to grow this Jerusalem artichoke. If the business failed, the artichoke seed that he was growing and selling wouldn't get the premium price that AEFS was promising, which we're going to talk about again. And uh, he would be unable to meet the annual and balloon payments that he owed on his property because... Obviously, he made it so he paid as little as possible up front, would pay it on the back end because he knew he never was going to have that kind of money. And he owed debts to his brothers, his sisters, his father's estate. Basically, anyone that knew him, he owed some kind of money. Awesome. So that really is the American way. He like did the, the go big or file bankruptcy kind of thing that business people do, where you spend a bunch of money you don't have and hope you are successful and get some of that money back to pay it back. But when you don't, you just kind of file bankruptcy and start another business. Yeah. Just do it again. <laughs> you move loca- Get a second location, move to Sioux city, apparently. Uh, so our boy Dwyer was uh, brought up as a Methodist and became a born again, Christian. He no longer drank. He took the television sets out of his home. He prayed before his meals, even went out in public and he openly incorporated faith in God into his speech. The reason I'm bringing this up is because Dwyer, much like Hendrickson, really believed, like honestly and truly believed their meeting was providential. And this is what we call drinking your own Kool-Aid. Yeah, when God gives you sunchokes, you join a fringe ideology and disallow arbitrary things. Now, Dwyer had priorly had some fringe beliefs and would fit into the broad category of like a survivalist at heart. He believed things like energy independence was the key to saving the nation's heartland among many other things. Now, arguably, Dwyer's search for energy independence more than anything else explains why Dwyer was willing to join Hendrickson in creating AEFS. At the time he met Hendrickson, Dwyer was preoccupied with finding an inexpensive alternative to the diesel fuel used by his companies, which had caused him to lose massive amounts on major construction jobs. Again, yet more signs of a great businessman. The best. A businessman doing business things. Oh, man, I can't wait to tell you about the MAGA crowd getting involved with this. It's so good. Because, of course, MAGA would somehow get involved with this. What year was this again? 1980. 1980. The, the original MAGA. And I swear to God, it's literally called MAGA. So now, predictably, any company Dwyer and Hendrickson started would be more about promotion and sales than the science and technology, since neither of them were scientists or worked in technology. The fact that Hendrickson could be responsible for the company's development of alcohol plants and other research should make that pretty obvious, given that he didn't know anything about alcohol, plants, or development, right? So if Dwyer had 
even a minimal knowledge of crop science, uh, he would have realized from the beginning that there was simply no way an outcast plant could be transformed into a major crop for the production of fuel in a three-year period. If you've been listening to this podcast, we've talked about soy a little bit and that it took like decades for like the best team in the world to figure out how to make it like a, a market crop. He was like, yeah, we can do it in three. There's, what's the big deal? So for folks that aren't familiar, common sense uh, and specifically agricultural knowledge dictate that to turn any plant into a major crop uh, does require like a lot, right? Uh, among many of the required conditions, not only did they need to meet a potential niche in the market, but also have the means of industrial processing, large buyers, faithful and risk-taking uh, farmer suppliers, and luck itself, which might give the crop a chance to succeed. Like we said, this has happened, but it, it takes decades. It took soybeans four decades. We talked about soybeans, I think, in the first episode, right? That this was the reason that they believed the sunchoke could be the next miracle crop is because they'd seen it happen with soybeans, sort of. Most people knew it became this you know, crop that saved people for a couple decades, but they didn't really know that long winding history of how it got there, or generally speaking, the nature of crop development in general. Right. So all this time they're they're thinking you got to spend money to make money uh, and take risks because America was built on risk taking and freedom and not paying your debts and not paying your taxes either, as we'll find out. Yeah, just not paying, just not paying, but getting paid. That is the American way, right? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not paying, paying and getting, getting paid. paid. Uh, so sometime during the first six months of the company's existence, it finally did dawn on Dwyer that Hendrickson was just all talk and little show. Honestly, I'm surprised he figured any of this out at all. Honestly, I am too. Now, Dwyer also became aware of how much of AFS's scientific research depended on a single scientist, namely Wayne Dorband. Dorband, an assistant professor at Augustana College, was himself as much an entrepreneur as a college teacher or scientific researcher. Dorband had received his PhD in fisheries resources from the University of Idaho in 1980, so he was like a fresh baby with his PhD. Prior to earning his doctorate, he had done some work on alcohol fuel as well as on limited agronomic research projects in wetland areas. Okay, okay. Okay. So their main source of research didn't know anything about agronomy. They just found a dude with a PhD. Yeah, they're like fisheries. That's that's they eat plants, right? Same thing. Same thing. I mean, they they're really slapping this together. I think at this point with with all the people that we have here, I'm just going to go ahead and start referring them to as a ragtag team cuz that's what this oh, is. Oh man, we we still have the the raggiest taggiest person to add. We'll get there. Now, before going to work for AEFS, Dorbin had no knowledge of the Jerusalem artichoke and little or no knowledge in specialized fields associated with crop development. Oh my god, that's amazing. It's so surprising, right? What would Fred II say? He would say, have faith. God is the science, right? So basically what Dorbin essentially did for AFS was be the guy that like wore a white coat, right? He had a PhD, kind of seemed legitimate from somebody like an outsider. If you're like, oh, that guy's doctor such and such, like he's doing the science and people are like, yep, he's a scientist. He's got the coat, got a PhD. In Dorbin's defense, he did try to carry out some like legitimate projects. Uh, he gathered a large collection of articles on the Jerusalem artichoke. So this dude should have started a podcast and maybe not been the head of research for a company. I mean, yeah, in 2022, I would definitely say like, please, for the love of God, just just start a podcast. Yeah, I'm in the wrong place. 
I mean, can you imagine like being the head of research at like a multi-million dollar company right now for yeah, yes. what we do? Yeah, I can Google. <laughs> I that's can all, Google. That's all research is. We have established that. Yes, we have. Now, he carried out preliminary evaluations on the feed value of the plant. Also, he undertook a large but essentially uninstructive literature search, devised very primitive surveys for collecting field data from growers. He supervised AEFS's experimental acres, and um, he offered agronomic advice as much as he could on weeding, harvesting, and pesticides. He also wrote a significant, if not the greatest, portion of the company's more important sales literature. This literature later was at the center of Minnesota Attorney General's investigation of AEFS. <laughs> it just keeps getting better. So we have a doctor scientist who's the head of research, but he also writes copy to sell, you know, marketing brochures and stuff for the company. Uh, yeah, like why wouldn't that be the case, Rag-tag. right? Rag right? tag team. It, it's just bootstraps, Elliot. It's bootstraps. Have some respect. <laughs> So while Dorbins knew how fucked they were, Dwyer and Hendrickson sincerely tried to provide evidence for their efforts. For instance, they identified some prestigious scientists who studied the Jerusalem artichoke, entered into a lease purchase agreement for the use of a local alcohol plant. They started a dehydration project. They approached a few large companies about research on and to purchase the Jerusalem artichoke. And they even took a trip to France to see what positive use the French purportedly had made of the Jerusalem artichoke. Dwyer and Hendrickson passed off their efforts as part of company research. So that's awesome. They are actually living their lives like the head CEOs of multi-million dollar companies when they're traveling on vacation and they write it off as a business expense. And this is basically a hobby project that went horribly off the rails. You can't go off the rails when Elliot's driving. <laughs> you can't. you just keep <laughs> mixing me and God up today and I just, I'm okay with oh it. Oh my God. This Elliot. is how the cult starts, buddy. I'm at the top. God is driving the train. I'm Elliot not driving is, the train. Elliot is in the caboose. We're all safe because the, God would not let us off the rails. I'm the engineer. You are the engineer. Yeah, I'm the one that pulls the little the, the string with the horn. Toot toot. You know? Yeah, you're the tutor. Yeah, and I have the Jesus, cool hat. Jesus, take the wheel. You're the, so, one sh- you're the one shoveling coal, fucker. Yeah, I am. I'm the one shoveling coal keeping that shit going now at the founding of the company both hendrickson and dwyer were justifiably giddy with success more farmers wanted jerusalem artichoke seed tubers than they had ever imagined the money just rolled in hendrickson believed he was leading the nation and himself to prosperity dwyer was equally enthusiastic everyone was making money AEFS provided work for Dwyer's construction companies. He met his payrolls. He hired his friends. He purchased new properties because what else would you do when you finally aren't going shit broke, right? Let's buy more, right? Instead of just being like, fuck, I'm, I'm happy I can pay my bills every month. When things were good at the beginning and everyone was just buying, eating this shit up, neither of them like thought like to question what they were getting themselves into. And um, throughout the company's history, it was this like delusion or ignorance or whatever, which protected the uh, the consciences of Dwyer and Hendrickson. Okay, so they had money, they were spending money they didn't have, and then when the money rolled in, they were spending that just as fast as the money that they spent, that they didn't have in the first place. Oh yeah, they were get they were going nowhere. They're like, hey, you know that backlog? Let's uh let's ignore it and buy more. Okay, so they were too stupid to feel bad for swindling people. Have you ever heard of Christians doing that before? 
<laughs> no, never, never. Me neither. This is the first time. That's why this story is so amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, they should have known better. At one point, Dwyer fired AFS's accountants rather than like listen to their warnings about like the fact that he continued taking more borrowings and the fact the company was, even despite their overwhelming successes, which we're going to talk about later, they were still running cash shortages. Dwyer explained his action by saying that the accountants didn't classify seed contracts paid to AFS as income until the seed had been delivered. And this is a quote from him, a very smart businessman. So, you know, one is a debt and one is a credit, and I don't understand the two terms that well, but they're saying it was a loss and actually we had this money in the bank, and by my private projection, we were a profitable organization. We were basically a cash basis organization. Actually, we were a cash-rich company. End quote. <laughs> he doesn't know what any of that means. No, it doesn't that sound like Donald Trump, though? He's just saying stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, li- that's literally, that's literally the, the quote of somebody just saying stuff he heard somebody else say with no like, understanding of the concept like whatsoever. No, And I love that he's just like, and I don't understand the two terms well. That is like the chef's kiss to that whole fucking thing. <laughs> like that is something like Michael C. Scott, like the office right there. And I don't know those terms well, but let me explain why I don't care. The, the, the thing right here is like the key to their incredible growth was tied to specifically its pyramid scheme adjacent model. And we're going to talk about pyramid schemes and why they're illegal and how legal what they did was. So it's also why they had this boatload of cash on hand early on, right? So AFS designed their business in a way that made a lot of sense if you had a business model in place, but it was absolutely based on the most wild fantasy possible. Their contracts with the first-year growers was stemmed in the idea that they would guarantee to purchase the seeds from their first-year crops. They promised that for every dollar spent on seed, 50 cents would be kept back so the company would have the resources to buy growers' seed. They not only offered the growers 50% for AFS's pooled sale of their crops, but also offered them an additional 15% for all completed sales they made on their own fields. What that really means is 15% would be like an extra $3,600 or about $15,000 in 2023. This contract meant with just a little more figuring that three standard sales would pay for all of their contracts and still leave them with 30,000 pounds of Jerusalem artichoke seed left for future sales. That's still a little confusing for non-accountant people. Yeah, so basically buyers paid a hefty premium for the guarantee that their product would have a guaranteed buyer, AEFS. So they were paying them to then get their own money back, basically, with what they grew. They were charging seed costs that were 100 times higher than corn, but with the promise that they would sell at least half back to AEFS at 1,000 times higher premiums than corn on a commodity market. So they had a whole bunch of money that wasn't technically theirs, but it was promised for future sales. Exactly. So they had, like, quote-unquote, positive cash flow because they got all this money up front, right? But, like... Most of it was already promised to go back to the sellers that just gave it to them to buy that seed back. Right. So why would someone give them money in advance if they're only going to just get it back later? Is there interest? Like, usually there's interest involved. Yeah. So there's, this is a really important question, right? So like, who is buying the seed, right? Because that's going to tell you why they were buying it. There's, there's a couple categories, and I'm going to make this kind of quick. So one part of that category was the people who were afraid they were going to miss the boat on the next soybean. Those folks figured it was worth trying to profit on marginal lands because sunchokes can grow anywhere. 
and many people were trying to basically, you know, this was their Hail Mary, that they were, they were about to lose the farm and figured it was one last hope. Of most interest for us are the last two, the religious buyers, convinced it was a crop from God. Now, many of these religious believers stuck with the crop and with the company to the very bitter end. For example, when legal investigation of AEFS's sales claims for the Jerusalem artichokes came to light, one such believer, Thomas Sanger, wrote to Jerry Knapper that the Jerusalem artichoke was an answer to a prayer, and AEFS itself was an agent of God's providence. In quote, showing that his faith was not entirely innocent, he also added, I also have some thoughts and ideas about forming a co-op or an association that would remove the concept of us being a pyramid-type selling scheme. End quote. So it sounds like Tom knew, and it sounds like everybody fucking knew, but nobody wanted to accept it. Yeah, I think deep down they understood what it was. Hook, line, and sinker. They took the bait. It's hard not to. Like, it was so, so obvious. Now, this last group, the ones who, so I talked about like the last two are the most important. The first one is those religious. The second one is this pyramid uh, scheme people. They recognized what it was, a pyramid scheme, and they tried to make money on it before the bottom fell out. It was hard not to believe with the profits AFS was making that surely the business must be real, given that they were making like $6 million a month by January of 1982. In 1982, $6 million a month. In classic Trump speak, Dwyer concluded that, in quote, there would be more than enough money to always pay, and they call that robbing Peter to pay Paul, but it is a continuation of business, and that just describes it, end quote. Borrowing from the future to not go bankrupt today. Listen, I'm not a businessman or a business person, uh, but I did work at a bank once, and holy shit, that's a terrible model for business. It's a beautiful model, first off. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't care what they say, it works because we have money today, even though the shit hasn't hit the fan. Don't worry about it. It works. You know what else is a terrible business model? Elliot, do you know? What's that? It's podcasting without getting paid advertisements. That's why we plug our own stuff in our own ads and sometimes cool stuff for our friends. So uh, go take a listen. Yeah, don't skip the commercial. Hey there. Is your name George? Do you use foundations to funnel money to organizations to bypass tax regulation? Are you recognized as maybe funding radical leftist movements across the globe? Well then... This commercial is for you, specifically you, George. My name is Andy, and the Poor Pearls Almanac is looking for you. Come fund our program. We've got boomsticks. We collectivize the energy of the sun with plants. If this sounds like an ad made explicitly for you, go support the Poor Pearls Almanac at poorproles.com. So we've talked a bit about evangelicalism and its role in AFS's model, but it's important to understand why this was so effective. Experiencing a great resurgence in the 1960s and 70s and emerging into the national limelight during the Reagan presidency, evangelical Christianity provided an enthusiastic faith that believed that God would not let his vision fail. So if your vision was from God, it would succeed. Full stop. Now, unmistakably, AEFS belonged to this emerging phenomenon of a new kind of direct sales organization, something that like we call today, or at least in the like 90s and early 2000s, like charismatic capitalism. In direct selling, one can work and serve God and country all at the same time. 
like I don't know, Mary Kay is Mary Kay like religious? I don't the, know. The Olsen twin? What the fuck? No, like the the jewelry or the the people the makeup they like drive around with the sticker on their car. I don't know. I'm an Avon girl. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, so the idea was basically that like direct selling is basically a quasi patriotic and religious activity. God and the nation are served by the pursuit of direct sales. In this way, the American ethic contributes to a generalized desire to go out into the world and make that money. So again, just harping on on the idea that all this dude is said, he just if you say it, it becomes true. If his if he says his idea is from God, then it's going to succeed because it's from God. Now go sell my shit because God wants you to. That's right. This money is not mine. It was perceived the fucking meme of um with Dale Gribble with it was perceived through me. It's like the voice of God. Yeah, that that's us. Now, AEFS supporters dedicated themselves to saving the countryside from the nation's swollen cities and uh, its foreign dependence. They believed that their own calling was, and again, this is a quote from one of their, uh, one of the people that was once an investor, uh, a calling beyond and above commerce, end quote. The idea was that AEFS was not just a company of believers, but they were a family who believed in God, America, the family farm, and the Jerusalem artichoke. That's exactly, that's all you need, really, is God, freedom, fartichokes, and I'm sure there were some guns in there. So this checks out. Oh, yeah. So this was no more apparent than in AFS's first National Growers Convention in June of 1982. The convention was titled Energy Freedom for the 80s. More than a thousand people attended the convention. The convention hosted lectures, show-and-tell sessions, and small alcohol fuel demonstrations suggesting how the Jerusalem artichoke would be commercially transformed into both fuel and feed. One South Dakotan, James Fish, recalled, among other things, being moved by one of the presenters who described how she had died and spent time in heaven before returning to this earth. Okay, so what does resurrection have to do with sunchokes? Exactly. It was a televangelist event without like the annoying Bible reading. Don Sheenan, a member of AEFS's sales staff and author of a pamphlet called, in quote, Shut Up and Sell, end quote, spoke about motivation. So he started his talk claiming that, in quote, the Lord had never denied me one thing in my life, end quote. And he suggested that, in quote, sales was the key to the 1980s, end quote, and concluded with a novel appeal to the Holy Spirit saying, anoint me with artichokes and set me on fire. Okay, these people are nuts. And this is officially this is officially turned the corner from a pyramid scheme into cult now. Oh my once god. Once you once you hear that line, yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the craziest one yet. And my favorite, 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 like the Holy Trinity character. Please tell me there's ritual involved. Oh my god. Ready? So here's my favorite character, Reverend Lowell Kramer. Now, he was a minister who played an important role in AFS. And also, fun fact, one of the world's first televangelists, and he gave a motivational speech in the spirit of his ministry's motto to, in quote, dedicate to serve God and man. When he took the stage at this event, he introduced himself by elucidating the anagram evangelist. E, energetic. V, vibrant. A, anointed. N, notable. G, great. E, electrifying. L, lively, I, innovative, S, sensational, and T, terrific. 
Now, after explaining how we all like and need money, he spelt out the anagram money. M means God is for me. I, I'm sorry. This is so hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> I must live with his plan. Wait, what does that have to do with money? Oh, it's M means God is for me. I must live in his plan. Don't know what that has to do with M. O stands for the opportunity provided to me by the Jerusalem artichoke. N expresses the necessity of surrendering, our, surrendering ourselves to God. E equals the energy within you. And then he says, it is greater than all OPEC's power and will serve your God, nation, and generation. Y is for you, the one who must apply his faith. Obviously, the message was pretty clear, right? Trust God, buy Jerusalem artichokes, become rich. And that explains where they got all their money from. Bunch of dumb idiots who bought into all this shit. Right? Now, so Kramer is amazing, and we're going to talk about him more in the next episode. What you really need to know at this point is that he was a televangelist. He loved jewelry. He started a nursing home chain, and it got investigated and shut down by the SEC, as church leaders tend to do. In a signed statement in February of 1975, before all of this, he indicated his worth was $2.5 million with an annual income of 220000 However, he told SEC examiners that this was simply a projected income meant to impress bankers. Like, that is, like, gonna make it fucking better that he fucking lied. And this was true because it didn't conform to his income tax filing for 1974, which showed an adjusted gross income of, take a guess, Elliot, he's projecting 220000 What do you think he's, how much do you think he's fluffing that up? Uh, $180,000. $26,864 on his That's how much he actually made? That's how much he claimed he actually made? That's what he claims he actually made. Yeah, this is this is going to be your, your fourth wheel for the, the core of AEFS. Oh my God, this is the this is the full ragtag group. Oh my God. So you got- Oh, lay it out for us. We have Fred's. Fred the second. You got Dwyer. You've got Dr. Scientist. And now you've got our boy Kramer. Oh my God. Dr. Scientist, head of marketing. <laughs> head and of then marketing. We can just call him Kramer. That just fits. It fits, doesn't it? Yeah. Fred the second- yeah, so so when when they hooked up with this dude Kramer, Dwyer and Hendrickson knew about and had like discussed the fact that like Kramer was already having problems with his nursery home chain, right? Now, in fact, Hendrickson, despite being a shitty attorney, he was an attorney and had actually he had actually represented clients who held the company Challenge Homes, which is uh, what Kramer owned. They had held their bonds that weren't getting paid, despite the fact that he was intimate with Kramer's bullshit business. He did not choose to investigate Kramer's background because like fucking obviously they didn't. Like he's like I know he's done shady shit because I was on the receiving end of it. Whatever. He likes artichokes. Hey, hey, God checked them out, right? Got vetted. He got vetted. The, got the vetted. only vetting that matters. Okay, so I I just it's so unbelievable that all of these morons like cross paths and like it's sold, beautiful they, they sold each other like they they flim flamed each other in, oh, into the God. into this business and then continued to flim flam millions out of out of just poor unsuspecting people who probably couldn't just couldn't see through the thin veneer of the very bullshit. thin yeah, very, it's, very, it's very, very thin. thin but i just i don't want to call i don't like to call people stupid but <laughs> there just has to be a specific kind of person that would fall for this and like cults 
<laughs> yeah, they, they they aim for a specific audience, don't they? Like, yeah, am I uh, am I wrong you know, about that? This is a very unique plant in a unique place and time. It was just like it was the perfect storm for this mess to happen. Andy, we could do it again. Nobody knows about the, the Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> we, we don't have just, to release this we episode. Don't release this episode and just do just. This is our playbook, buddy. It is. We we just got to be smarter about it, right? So we do the whole Jesus thing. That's then not when that we hard. We take the money. We have to find what countries we can go to before we, where we can't get extradited. So that means we have to start learning those languages now, so that when we go, we're already fluent. Listen, I'm American. I'm just going to go there and speak English, but louder. <laughs> All right. So All right. <laughs> this episode is no longer coming out. So if you're listening to this, that means we have been arrested and we are raising money for our uh, court case. And Listen, hopefully you're at, you're at the bottom of the pyramid. So you fuckers better start selling to get us out of the shit that we're in. All right. Otherwise, it's all on you. So we're going to be back with uh, part three. I think there's going to be a part four. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are enjoying this because we're having a lot of fun. This is insane. It's great. I love it. I want to go into a bank and get just demand a no-doc loan right now. Like, I'm getting all fired up. (laughs) 